What's going on, coaches? Really exciting week for me. I finally am, am able to tell you guys officially uh, that I've been hired as the Superbacks coach and director of football operations down in Texas at McKinney High. Uh, extremely excited about it. Me and my family can't wait to get down there. A huge thank you, obviously, out to Coach Shavers for making me feel at home uh, throughout that process. And, and I'm extremely excited to get to work with such an unbelievable staff that he has brought in down there at McKinney High. Obviously, a huge thank you to all the players at Broken Arrow, uh, Coach Ellett, who is the AD who brought me on, uh, and Coach Alexander, who hired me uh, and, and taught me most of what I know, other than Coach Walls and my dad, uh, Coach Alexander taught me most of what I know uh, for football and, and to be a dad and to be a husband. And so uh, very appreciative of him. Very thankful for all the admin at Broken Arrow uh, up the high school. You know, everyone there let me, quite literally me and my family, you know, live our dream. We want to be able to grow, grow our family in Broken Arrow. We wanted to be able to be a part of bringing the very first state championship ever to Broken Arrow High School, and we were able to do that. Uh, we're excited for our new journey, excited to get down south, get back into Texas, uh, down to McKinney, McKinney High, uh, and, and coach up the Superbacks. Get those guys ready to roll, uh, learn some more pass game, get those guys, uh, as we've talked about on the podcast a lot, uh, you've got tight ends that have to know it all, pass game, run game, uh, everything, blocking, catching, running with the ball. So I'm really, really excited. I can't wait to get down there, uh, help try to make an impact with those kids and on that coaching staff. Uh, and and just am really excited and uh, excited that I'm able to tell you guys that today. So McKinney High Lions, uh, we are coming down, uh, me, my wife, and both kids, and, and I couldn't be more excited. So uh, hopefully you guys have a good week as well. If you need anything from us, go check us out at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. On this episode of RTP, brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Rich Hargett. Coach Hargett is the head coach at Emmett High School in Emmett, Idaho. He's also the founder of Service to Air System Offense at S2A System, used around the country. Listen as we talk with Coach Hargett about his move across the country, the development of his program into a state finalist, and the adaptions he has made to his system to match his personnel and school using more gap schemes with his RPOs. You can follow Coach Hargett on Twitter at Coach Hargett. Hope you guys enjoy. 
you know, first off, I just want to say I really, really appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, you know, your guys' rep speaks for itself. It's a, it's a big one in the coaching community. You guys do a great job. So thank you for, for having me on. Um, you know, I started out, uh, I played at a little school in, in central Illinois in the middle of nowhere. They didn't play football anymore. And uh, got started, had, had a couple of injuries at the end of my high school career. Wasn't wasn't particularly good anyway and so um i started coaching when i was in high school I actually got my first head coaching job um a couple days before i turned 21 i was still in college and you know, a couple schools that were bad and gave me gave me a chance to to start coaching ball so i couldn't even go out and legally drink to celebrate getting that first gig um you know we were just you know we were terrible back then and then i uh you know i moved around the midwest a little bit my wife and i didn't have kids so you know, we just made the decision that we were going to move to the South. Uh, it was kind of ironic because we actually got offered a job in Seattle and a job in North Carolina. Flew to both places, checked both out. Kind of was just sitting there flipping a coin. Really, really liked the Pacific Northwest. And just something about the Carolinas was like, you know, that's that's where God wants us to go. So we did it. And it's pretty ironic that 15, 16 years later, we're back in the Pacific Northwest. So God has a sense of humor in those things, I guess. But uh Went to the Carolinas, made a lot of money down there, coached a lot of ball, had a lot of success, a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm a Yankee, Catholic Yankee from the Midwest, and you never quite fit in uh, down there. And so we just kind of <laughs> always thought living in the living in the West seemed cool. You know, it seemed like a seemed like a, you know, kind of take your ball and head West kind of thing is it, it's new, it's fresh. And so we always kind of had that theory. And uh you know, they, they had a job for me in Salt Lake. It was all lined up, looked like I was going to go there. It actually was a thing kind of put together through my consulting business, Surface to Air, and, you know, it was all lined up. And something just didn't seem right about it. And then another S2A client says, well, you should apply for this job in Emmett. And I'm like, where the hell is Emmett? And they're like, well, it's in Idaho. And I said, well, it didn't help much because I still don't know where the hell Idaho is. I literally couldn't find it on a map. Um, I, I thought it was a lot further east than it was. And uh, the booster club's like, well, hey, you know, let's let's get you on a Zoom. So we did the Zoom. And I almost didn't even do the interview because I'm like, I'm not moving to Idaho, man. Like, that's not a thing, you know. And, you know, one thing led to another. And they were very persuasive. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Did the interview. Was totally honest. Very blunt. They still offered me the job. And things just kind of fell apart with the Utah thing. And the Idaho thing looked good. So my wife and I hopped on a plane at spring break. And flew out here, rented a car. And, uh, you know, it reminded me so much of the Midwest. It's, it is a lot like the Midwest. Uh, like I'm, I'm driving in the car right now and I'm literally driving by cows in a cornfield eating corn stubble. So it's like Iowa, right? Same place. Mm -hmm. The only difference is this is what I tell people a hell of a lot better looking because I'm, I'm underneath a mountain that's got snow about three quarters of the way up right now. And, uh, it's just a, it's an awesome place because you don't, you don't have any bad weather down here in the Valley. Cause we're only at 2,500 feet above sea level, but you can drive an hour and you can ski and snowboard half the year. And, you know, people are really friendly, good work ethic, just like the Midwest and came here and I could not coach. I'll be honest with you. I couldn't imagine a worse situation to step into. Um, they painted a really good story in the interview that was really not true. Um, you know, they're like, cause we're the smallest team in 4A and there'd only been two years that Emmett had been 3A. And when they were in 3A, they made the semis and won the state title. Immediately got sent back to 4A, um, immediately came back to earth. Um, you know, they told me all these good things about the program. None of them are true. They're broke. They had no money. There was $600 in the football <laughs> account. Um, no kids wanted to play. All their seniors graduated. The head coach got fired. Um, he was the AD. So the AD that hired me only made it like two weeks after I got here and he quit. Um, all the coaches got pissed at each other and mutinied and quit. Um, the community was completely divided over football and football coaches. Um, all the good kids didn't want to play football. The equipment was bad. The jerseys were bad. The facilities were bad. Um, I don't, hell, I don't know, coach, what, what's left. You know, I, I don't know what, what else you can pick that was bad. It was just bad. And then you add to that, we have 700 kids in our school and our first three opponents all had 1500 plus and they were all playoff teams. And I mean, we got fricking buzz on, man. I mean, just obliterated. And, uh, 
you know, I'll be honest, I'm standing there. My first year, we were 0-4, and I was hoping a meteor would hit my ass on the sideline because I'm just like, please make this end. Um, it was bad, <laughs> bad, bad. And we got through it. Somehow, by the grace of God, we didn't go 0-9. I don't even know how that happened. And we got to the offseason. I'm like, okay, this didn't work. Like, this needs a total overhaul. So fundraising had to get overhauled. Weightlifting had to get overhauled. You know, took, took a completely different perspective on the weight room. Changed the entire offensive philosophy and defensive philosophy that we lived by. You know, coming from the South, I was a 10P, throw it around, spread it out, RPO you every play guy. You know, we had some kids played in the ACC and the SEC. You know, that, that ain't Idaho, buddy. That just is not what they got going on here. You know, we had, we had physical kids. We had to devote ourselves to more power football. And so we started doing that. You know, weight room took a completely different turn that offseason. And we won three games the next year, almost made the playoffs, lost the last game of the year that would have put us in the playoffs. And then we did the COVID thing, just like everybody else, and ran that whole gambit, and that whole mess and whatnot. And, uh, you know, things, things popped. This is my third year there, and uh, we were picked to finish fifth in our, uh, I guess, what is there, eight teams, eight teams, nine teams in our league. We were picked to finish fifth, um, and we ended, up, uh, we ended up winning the league. It was the first 4A title, first 4A conference title in school history, and then got to the playoffs as a two seed or 16 teams in the playoffs and caught fire at the right time. And we got to play at home the whole tournament because, you know, we were the second seed and we met the number one seed in the state final and lost. But along the way, there was a lot of firsts, you know, some teams we beat for the first time, first conference title, first quarterfinal, first semifinal, first state title appearance. So had a, uh, had a fun run this year. Got to do a lot of cool things in the middle of a global pandemic. Came up, came up one game short, but it was a, uh, it was a fun ride. So my kids are in middle school and elementary school here. So they'll, I'll coach them through graduation and we're going to build a little, build a little nugget, but you know, everybody that we, everybody we beat this year was twice our size. And so it's really, we are definitely the little engine that could. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun winning when you're not supposed to, and nobody picks you to. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the Reader's Digest version. I gotcha. So, Coach, so this is what I'm, you know, curious about. You know, you have the success in the South, and and you decide to pick up and move. And, and like you said, you've got your uh, surface to air, which I'm sure you think, you know, very highly of. It's been very successful for you and, and for other coaches that have used it. And then you go to a school, and you guys have a really, really bad year. Now, I know it's a, yep. it's a different school, but still, I'm sure you're, you know – you're thinking that, hey, service to air is going to come here. We're going to go at least 500. We're going to turn this thing around really, really quickly. Was there any any doubts or any thoughts like, man, what's going on? I mean, uh, how does that work? Because, you know, I, I think I've, I've set myself up to, to do something similar. Now, I don't have a whole consulting thing like that, but I've been at a really good high school. My stuff really works at a really good high school because probably, you know, a lot of people's stuff works at a really good high school. Now, now you go to somewhere else where it doesn't have all the uh, other things built up around it. How was that your first year that, you know, you, you kind of have that, oh, man, it's it's not working this first year. You know, was there any doubt in what you'd been doing? Did you just know automatically, hey, there's all this other stuff going on around it? How was that for you that first year? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I – and it's, it's difficult because they were probably great kids great kids in 2018 great human beings but they had not lifted weights the strength program was not in place they didn't even have kids in a weightlifting class really so i had to completely retool that whole process and so it really decision on what to do because you're you're asking the chicken and the egg theory right are we bad because we're weak or are we bad because of scheme right. and after a couple games i really quickly realized no doubt we were going to lose games because we weren't strong that was that was a no-brainer. I knew after two weeks we weren't going to make the playoffs because we just couldn't we couldn't match people up. But it was about three, four games, maybe five games into the season. I start looking around at what everybody else is in our league, and I'm like, they're all spread. Now, when I say that, it's funny because we're in the spread more than we're in anything else. But, I mean, we'll run the gambit, right? We're in 10, 11, 12, 21, 22, 32, 14, 04, 05. You name it, we run it for a personnel grouping. But, you know, we were this quote-unquote, I'm air-quoting, spread team that was trying to spread people out and win in space, you know. And 
I don't know if you if you're reading any of his stuff or not, but I'm I'm reading Cody Alexander's uh, Anchor Points right now. I just got done with his Hybrids book, and uh, you know he's talking about spatial awareness in there and all that stuff. And it really kind of I didn't realize it until I read that book. But you know I was sitting here looking at it and I'm like, we are not good when there's space. Like we are trying to create tons of space and then win in that space. And that's what everybody else is trying to do. We're not different. And one of the great things about S2A, I've always told people, we've got clients in 47 states. I mean, people run it coast to coast, literally, is it's malleable. You know, you can, you can do with it what you need to do with it. And so that first year, I just tried to run us like we were a spread team in the South. And I'm looking around, and that's what all these other big Boise area teams are trying to do, is they're trying to kind of be spread. And I start looking, and there's a couple schools that are not. And one of them is a Catholic school. Uh, they're about our size. They're here in Boise. And they've won championship after championship. And they're a power IT. You know, they get in pro sets, 21, 22, and they just get after your ass. And so I start talking to their coach, and I'm like, you know, what, what is that all about? Like, you're two miles from Boise State's campus. You can do what you want. you got great players. And he's like, we're just different. You know, we just we want to be that physical, gritty you know, downhill football team. And so, you know, we obviously had power and counter and those things. And I just decided during that 18 season, I'm like, if we want to put Emmett on the map, we're going to have to be a couple things. One of them is we're going to have to be the strongest team on the schedule. So we take an almost, I mean, it's almost psychotic, coach. We take a pathologically damn near crazy twist on weightlifting. I mean, we lift four days a week in season. We lift on game day. We lift four to five days a week in the off season. We take one week off after the season and we get right back after it. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, we pound weight on these kids and I knew that was going to be a part of the solution, but I went out and got these t-shirts printed up that say physical football and it's got our logo on it. And I'm like, we are going to just transition everything we do to the idea of physicality. And if it's not physical, we don't do it anymore. And so we still, it's crazy because we still run 10 P, right? We still run four hertz. We run white cross. We run some air raid passing, but the nuts and bolts of it is we had to extract those parts of S2A that really enhance your physicality level. And that's what our DNA became. And, you know, over these last two seasons, we're one of the least hurt teams in the state. We, we don't lose guys to injury. We're really strong. We control the clock. We win the time of possession. You know, we, uh, we're really good about not turning the ball over. Uh, we only turned the ball over eight times, seven times, seven times, eight times, 13 games, you know? So it was a, I, I tell people this, it's not so much that we turned to another philosophy. We retooled how S2A has to apply to us. And it made me a better consultant because now what I do is guys will join S2A and they'll say, okay, what do I run? I'm like, well, what do you have? What is the DNA of your community? What kind of town are you? What kind of school are you? Because what you are is what I'm going to suggest. It's what I'm going to advise or consult you to take from our menu. And I tell people, S2A is like going to Golden Corral. Okay, if you go to Golden Corral and you eat everything on the menu, you're going to die, right? Like you're just going to get bloated and die. You can't do it. So you have to pick out there what you're in the mood for. And some people are in the mood for some broccoli and some cauliflower, and there's a whole lot of people in the mood for the chocolate fountain, right? And somebody's just going to go get the macaroni and cheese. But you got to decide where do you fit in that mix? And what I realized is Emmett is not, it, it is not a broccoli kind of town, man. It is a red meat and potatoes, get after you town, you know, high free and reduced lunch. Uh, we got some logging kids. We got a lot of farm kids. We got kids that move irrigation water in the summer. We got kids that are moving cattle and moving sheep. Um, you know, we've just got those kind of people. And so we kind of just created in, in this little platform for ourselves, a version of the offense and defense in S2A that fits us. And we've got a lot of clients that, that play it like we do, but we've got a lot of clients that play it like we did in the South. And what it's really done is, is it's just shown me how, how much we can manipulate, if that's the right word, or, or be malleable with the system to make it fit our kids. And so that's kind of what we had to do. And we, we finally sort of arrived at our niche. And you know, power was a big part of that since we're on run the power podcast. And one of the things I got to do is, you know, I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but COVID was great for football coaches in terms of learning. 
right? You know, we 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 got all mm-hmm. this access to Zoom. We've been doing we've been doing Zoom in my consulting business for six years. I mean, we lived on that thing. And so when everybody jumps into this Zoom world, I'm like, oh hell yeah, this is easy. And so I got to get with some really good coaches. Um, Brent Myers, the O line coach at Weber State in uh, Utah, great dude. Gave me a lot of stuff on how they block zone. Um, got to get up with Randy Hedberg, the quarterback coach at North Dakota State. Hell of a human being. Great football coach. Um, he and I hit it off. I, I'll bet you we probably did 15 Zoom calls that were at least an hour long. He got me with Courtney Messingham at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that thing went some places. And then, uh, you know, that got me to Brian Ferentz at Iowa. Um, so Brian and I chat. So I, I, you know, my family lives in Illinois. So I drive back during COVID. I'm like, screw this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go get some learning on. And I, I stop and I see Brian Ferentz at his house in Iowa because the facilities are closed. So you can't, you can't go in. So I sit in his basement and hang out for a day and talk Iowa football. And then I turn, my, my wife is a very patient woman. Let's just, let's just go ahead and, and segue that, right? My wife is a saint. So I, I got my wife and kids with me and we backtrack uh, on the way home. You understand if you're thinking of a map here, coach, the way home is not North Dakota, but we, we make it from Iowa to North Dakota and stop at Fargo and hang out with the NDSU guys and hang out with them for a whole day and talk a gap power football and then get up with the Montana state guys on the way through. And so I just kind of went on this little power counter physical football journey and just took little nuggets that I liked and added them into what we were doing into our S2A DNA and built for us, uh, you know, what turned out to be for us a record breaking and, you know, number one, number one offense in the state here uh, system. It was just really, really cool. And so, you know, I told our coaches, I'm like, I'm going to use COVID to my advantage, man. It's a negative. I'm going to, I'm going to live through it. I'm going to endure it, but I'm going to turn it into as much of a positive as I can. And, you know, hanging out with all those good coaches and getting all those good little nuggets, I think helped us win a lot of ball games this year. I couldn't agree more coach. I think, you know, it, it was a blessing in disguise for a lot of us, you know, that, that really like to, to talk and learn ball. I mean, obviously you know, coach Harp and myself, you know, that's one of the reasons why we start the podcast, but you know, having all that time off and then having access, you know, honestly access to a lot of college coaches who, you know, you know, normally you wouldn't have that kind of access because, you know, they're in spring ball, they're recruiting, they're doing all these things. Those guys were going bored out of their gore too. And, and, and so yeah. many of them were, were so awesome about, like you said, opening up their home, opening up, you know, with, with Zoom things and having you in that literally the, the whole offseason, if you didn't get better during this time, you have no one to blame but yourself. 100%. 100%. You know, I, it's funny because my AD asked me, he's a former football coach, and he asked me when, when we went back to school, um, he said, how do you think COVID is going to affect the season? And I said, the guys that win in 2020 are going to be the guys who are, are gym rats, the guys that are grinders, because they're going to come back from that experience with so many answers to so many problems. And the guys that lose are going to be the guys that either couldn't get their kids in, right? There's some guys just, just had trouble this year because they couldn't lift their kids. They couldn't practice their kids. Yeah. That's certainly a thing. But I said, you know, there's another group of guys that are going to lose that just didn't want to get better. And I said, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to lose because I didn't want to get better. And so, you know, I, I think our kids worked really hard and I think we did a lot of things right. But I mean, what we looked like offensively this year was augmented by a lot of those experiences. And the other thing, to your point, it lets you find out is it lets you find out how many college guys out there really love to network with high school guys. Right. There's a there's a lot of give and take and flow of information there. And that was what I realized really quick. Like, again, to kind of drop Randy Hedberg in there. You know, I thought I kind of knew something about power. I get into the first webinar with, with Randy on AGAP Power at North Dakota State. I get off. My wife walks through the room. She goes, well, how was that? I said, well, honey, I said, I don't know a damn thing about power. I said, I don't know a thing. I didn't, I didn't know what play it is compared <laughs> to what these people know. Right. You know, and then you get into the permutations of the play action, and the, the power reads and the counter reads. And, you know, it's just it's really cool to see that there's guys at some of those top echelon college programs that really do understand the fraternity of just sitting around talking ball and helping each other. So that was another kind of unintended positive consequence of COVID, I think. No, that's exactly right, Coach. So, you know, when we got to meet with the North Dakota State guys um, a little bit now, it was, the you know, I guess not the original North Dakota, but uh, 
original number two now over at Kansas State. We we never made it all the way up to North Dakota State, but um, got to go to K State when when uh, those coaches went over. We get to spend you know the day with them. The impressive part to me too, Coach, other than you know how impressive a gap power was, which you know like you said they've got so many different ways to run it. They've um, you know got so many play actions, great things. But it's like they've almost have every, you know, run game play that there is. Now, they don't run it every year, but they've got the ability to run just about any run that, they, that there is. And it's cool because, you know, they got guys from Trey Lance, you know, at quarterback, to, so they can really change it up and do some of the power read and do some of the sweep stuff and, and do some things with him at quarterback. And then they've also, you know, got the Carson Wentz types, which still athletic, but you know, maybe they're under center a lot more with that guy. And, and, you know, they run, they ran some outside zone, I think last year, and they ran some, you know, G lead. They can go so many different things depending on what they have that year, which is kind of what you were talking about um, with surface to air, how, you know, you want to mold it off of what you have that year. Yeah. Well, you know, two things that, that really, really kind of rung the bell for me is, is to your point, you know, their attention to detail is unparalleled. Like you can see why they, they win so much. The guys on that tree, you know, obviously uh, bull went down to Wyoming and, and they're, they're doing well, you know, Messingham doing well at K state, those climbing, those guys, you know, their attention to detail is unbelievable. I remember one of the first clips they're running power and they just freaking gash Oklahoma on the clip I'm watching with them. And I'm like, hell, that's pretty good play. And he winds it back and he's like, yeah, that's not good. Look, look where this kid's foot lands. You know, he, he wasn't same foot, same shoulder on the knockout. You know, his, his feet are a little bit crossed up. Well, you got to zoom it in and play it three times for me to realize that it wasn't perfect. You know, their, their attention to detail is, is unparalleled. But the other thing that I think really struck me, and this is basically what I think you were just talking about, is they don't subscribe to KISS. And, and I love it because I've told people this for years. And to hear the K-State staff say it, to hear the NDSU guys say it, you know, they don't want to be simple. They want to be effective. They want to be good. And there's, you know, people think that, well, we're going to be really, really simple. Well, sometimes simple is not the answer. You know, I, I would tell you this when I, so I hired a guy to come in and help me, help me with the offense this year. And he comes in and he goes, well, how complicated is the offense? I said, oh, hell, it's really, really simple. And he's there two days. and He's like, oh my God. He said, we run everything. He said, we run inside gap, outside gap, pin and pole, inside zone, outside zone. You know, he said, I, so we, we, shit, he said, we run everything. He said, I thought you said this was simple. I said, well, simple to me and the kids, you know, and it's funny because our kids are never confused, but we run a lot of stuff. And I like that model. I like that NDSU K-State model where it's, we're going to run what we've got to run to get the job done. We'll cut it back just to say that we're simple. And as long as you people can execute, I think, I think you're good. You know, I, Hell, this year we, we ran inside zone and blocked it about four different ways. We ran we ran the wide zone. We ran A, B, and C gap power, buck sweep, speed option a couple different ways, a couple different fly sweeps. You know, we sat down and tried to figure out how many personnel groupings and formations we're in, and we gave up after it was about 100 different permutations. And that doesn't even talk about the pass game. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what I like to do, and I, and I think that you got to have answers for every problem. You know, we see – we see so many different defense. Idaho is a huge state. You know, I mean, it's just not a lot of people, but it's massive. And so the way they play football over in the eastern part of the state isn't even close to how they play it here in the southwest where Boise is. And so I think that's one of the things that helped us, too, in the playoffs is that diversity of scheme, you know, having, having more than one way to get the job done. Coach, I think, you know, the other nice thing about, you know, kind of going gap heavy or a little bit more gap heavy is – uh, your RPO game. I, I feel like, you know, through experience, you know, and being in RPOs now, I mean, not nearly as long as yourself, but, you know, being in it for at least the last five seasons, I guess, um, our gap scheme RPOs seem to be, you know, more effective than a lot of, of your zone ones. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe, you know, your experience with that? And then I'm, I'm also interested again, you know, to always kind of hear, you know, how do you compartmentalize and teach your RPOs, you know, from, from a single yeah. receiver to two receivers and things like that? <clears throat> yeah. So when we first started putting a lot of RPOs together, I, I would say it goes all the way back 
2012, 13 is probably when, you know, when we really a lot and then into, you know, it was our jam and, and it was definitely inside and outside zone RPOs. And the thing about it is, is I think you've got to have a quarterback. If you're a zone based RPO team, I think you've got to have a quarterback that can win off the dribble. And what I mean by that is, is a guy that when he pulls the ball, the defense has to react. They have to be in a situation where they better have at least one hat for him. And then he can, he can read it both pre-snap and post-snap. The problem with zone-based RPOs is there's not a lot of diversity to it. You're either locked or you're unlocked. So the end's either, you know, he's either engaged or he's not. And you don't have much time because no matter how you block it, and I've done it a million different ways and I've had different calls and I've had ways to tell the O-line to play fast and play slow, you know, what I found is this. If you tell your O-line to play fast, get to their double team, zone things off, and play ball, you have to accept a certain amount of illegal downfields are going to happen. Um, it, it's just inevitable. If you tell them to slow their zone down and try to hold back a little bit, then they're never going to truly be that physical because they're always stepping in a bucket of water is what I tell people. You know, you, you jam your, bu- your foot in a bucket of water, it overflows. you got to put it in there gently and find the bottom of the bucket. And that's kind of what zone RPOs are. And so, you know, it was kind of a bit by bit progression that we worked our way to more gap scheme. We were starting to get a lot more gap scheme when I was in South Carolina. And then when we came here, um, you know, we made that, that full sale commitment that we were going to live, you know, we were going to live with our gap and die with our gap. Now I say that coach, and it's funny because the first round playoff opponent we beat, uh, a friend of mine, I called him back. I said, what's the biggest thing that we, what's the biggest problem we presented to you? And he said, we never know where your tight end is because, you know, we're kind of that all 11 offense. Our guys are multi, multi tools. He said, we couldn't identify your tight end because he was always moving all over the place, creating gaps. And the other thing was you lived in both a zone and a gap world. He said, the fact that we had to defend both created a tremendous problem. Now our receivers to talk about compartmentalizing it. They don't care. We go out and we teach them every RPO as a two-man game first. So everything is taught as if you're in double, two-by-two, and there's two guys there. We teach them everything out of two-by-two. Then we teach them everything with three-by-one, how they relate. And we have a menu that's probably about 17 to 20 concepts a year. And probably half of those never change. We've had them ever since we threw our first RPO. Um, Some of them are incredibly diverse. Like, we'll use them one year. And the next year we won't and we'll use it and then we'll tweak it. It'll go away and it'll come back. And we teach them completely irrespective of the run action. We actually tell our receivers, you're not running an RPO. What happens in the box stays in the box. Your job is to get open and either find grasp of its zone or win if it's, if it's matchup or man coverage. And so we teach them completely separate from one another. We'll teach the offensive line how to run block. We'll teach receivers like my receivers coach will take our receivers and he'll be like, okay, this is an RPO period air quoting. And he'll put them out there and he'll fit all those passes and they'll play. And then we bring them back together. And the conduit that connects it all together is the quarterback. We tell our guys, the the quarterback is the extension cord that connects the wall outlet to the generator. He's where it's all, it's all put back together. And what I love about the gap scheme RPOs is it elongates the quarterback's decision. In zone, it's very much a bang-bang play. Or you're in a post-snap pull RPO a la triple option phase, you know, where I'm running zone, I'm pulling off the five technique, I'm downhill, and I'm throwing off the will or the, the insert or the invert player. Whereas in gap scheme, you have such a tremendous ability to read the leverage of the defense. And I think that's what you see with, like, the Alabamas and, you know, a little bit with Auburn, but definitely with Alabama now is – those guys are not asking their quarterback to pull the ball, run sideways, and throw a bubble. He's not a pitch guy in the triple option. He's a true architect of the entire structure of the defense. And that's where, if you're going to make a commitment, in my mind, to run an RPOs, is you have to have a quarterback that really now understands how an entire defense is built. You know, we had a kid a few years ago. He went to Duke on full scholarship. He was a guy. And – Basically, he was one of those kids, you just got his ass off the bus and good things happened to you, right? You know, he was he was the strongest, fastest, best athlete on the field. 
and he was going to win some games for you. And so the RPOs were just a matter of how many different ways do we want him to be able to pull the ball and get loose. And then if you just are so committed that that won't happen, we had a running back that went to the Air Force Academy. So he was good enough to bang it up in there and get you to the playoffs. Well, now uh, my quarterback I had this past year was the 4A state player of the year. He'll come back as a senior next year. That cat has to understand the entire framework of the defense. He has to have a completely different understanding of how defenses are put together. And what I mean by that is we have RPOs that, like on defense, we're, we're a man-match quarters team on defense. That's how we base. And we have RPOs that will attack what the leverage points of the defense are. And if you don't give us those leverage points, then we're going to hand the ball off because we know that we're going to have numbers interiorly. And then you know, we, we get into a whole other world too. We're, I mean, we're a glorified double wing team when we want to get physical with you from the gun with motions and things like that. So the, the gap scheme stuff to me is revolutionizing the game. And if it wasn't, Nick Saban wouldn't be doing it because obviously that cat is not, is not investing his time in, in fly-by-night schemes. Um, and I think what it's doing is, is it's, it's counteracting the tendency of defenses to say, well, screw it, I'll just play man coverage. You know, that, that was the evolution, right? I mean, when we started RPOs, everybody played zone. He tore everybody apart because they couldn't, they couldn't play zone, play soft coverage, and stop the run or stop all the quick stuff to the perimeter. So they all said, screw it, we'll get man coverage. And now we've got that plus one in the box. Well, that plus one has gone away now because now I can throw glance RPOs and I can throw them to the number one guy. I can throw them to the number two guy. You know, I can run essentially, you know, taper fades and wheels because the, the offensive linemen are now so heavily engaged in the box in the gap scheme. Quarterback has longer to hold the ball and manipulate the, the pieces around the chessboard. And so I think that we just thrown a pitch past the defense that they weren't ready for. We changed speeds and threw it right by them when they were looking for a changeup. And so, you know, I know this, we have on, in our defense a whole myriad of ways to make you stop doing it to us, um, how we attack your gap and how we attack your RPOs. And so it's just a fun chess match, you know, um, and, and I'm sure it's not done evolving. The worm will keep turning on that a few more times. Oh, that's exactly right, Coach. You know, love to hear that. And and like you said, I you know, I, I love being able to just let your offensive linemen go be physical. Go get downfield. Go do whatever you want to do. Let's go be nasty, physical, play downfield, and and not have to worry about, you know, in my three yards, in my two yards, in my four yards, hey, let's just go get after it. Well, we snapped the ball 900 times this year, Coach, in, in 13 games, and uh, we got called for illegal man downfield one time one time and, and I'm sure we cheated 30 to 40 times a game. Um, you know, we got called once and the one time we got called um, was a tackle that the ball damn near hit him in the head as he ran past the official shit. I'd have called it. Um, it was, it was obvious. And, you know, it, it's completely, it has completely removed that conversation from our offensive, offensive film room. Like it, in Emmett, it does not get brought up anymore. It's done. You know, it used to be, well, coach, what if I'm to this? What if I'm to that? Our kids don't even think about it anymore. I just tell them, I said, it's not even a penalty. And I said, unless we get called three times a game, we will completely just, we'll just ignore it. It's not a thing. Um, I said, you know, if you're going to do something 25 times a game and you're not even going to get called on average once a game for it, then it's not statistically relevant. And so, you know, it's funny to me how people think RPO teams are not physical. Well, now with the gap RPOs, it's, it's eradicated that, right? Everybody, everybody understands now you can be super physical and still throw the ball off run action. So the, the gap RPOs, I think, are we're going to look back years from now and I think realize this was one of the big game changers that we offensive coaches have got, a, a really nice arrow in our quiver. And I think, you know, teaching, teaching the power play, teaching the counter play, you know, the way that North Dakota state does, I mean, the way they teach the, the double team with lateral displacement, you, you see less and less of this when you laterally displace and you, you turn, you know, that was always the thing I was worried about was getting, you know, too much movement and trying to wall off on a double team was always the, the first mm-hmm. side of, of the, you know, if you're reading the front side on the RPO or, you know, obviously, you know, it's always like you've said, it's the backside guy that the backside tackle that's climbing, you know, well, you don't have to worry about that in gap scheme. Cause he's, you know, gap hinge anyway. So 
it really eliminates the the two guys that I feel like are usually downfield. You know, your guards are, are one's pulling one's engaged most of the time. And then your center's blocking back. So now it's going to be a matter of, of the tackles possibly being down. So the only guy I'm really worried about, is going to be that drive player on the double team. And I think if you're teaching it the same way that, you know, NDSU and a lot of these teams teach it, you really don't have to worry about it anymore. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. I, I told our, uh, when we started out this year, I told my O-line coach, I said, if we've got such a problem that we're kicking three techniques as ass so bad, we're just placing that far. Uh, I said, then we just don't even need to throw RPOs anymore. We'll just hand <laughs> off power and win the state title. That's right. Well, and, and, you know, like you said, you know, it, you guys are different than everybody else. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's other teams that do it, but there's so many teams, at least where we were, we've been the past three years in, in Oklahoma, that were spread um, and, and the defensive coaches have all summer to get to work all their cool seven on seven stuff. Um, and they teach their safeties, you know, how to pass off all these different concepts and routes and all these things. Um, and then, you know, when they play us, their answer is, yeah, our, our strong safety is going to make the play in a gap. I just, you know, <laughs> it takes a real, real special safety to make that play 32 times a game. Um, and, <laughs> And it's something that they haven't done all year. It's not a safety designed to make that play 32 times. It's a safety that's designed to, to stop smash or, you know, what, you know, whatever they're seeing uh, three ver four verticals, you know, it's not a guy that, that they've had much time to practice, you know, run game and, and 21 personnel and, and how that adds to their gaps. And so uh, I, I always, like to think that our tailback's gonna gonna have a pretty good night if he's going one on one with the safety, you know, thirty sometimes a game. Now we've played against some that he made the play every time, and and I, you know I think that probably comes down to you know uh, eventually it comes down to are our guys good enough to win? But I, I think it gave us a great shot because uh, we were doing something that teams weren't weren't preparing for all year. Well, I think I think that's a tremendous point. So so y'all like playing golf. Uh, yes. Uh, Walls it. likes it a lot more than I do. I'm horrible at it. So it pisses me off. <laughs> well, right. So, I mean, you know, that's what all football coaches are, right? We're just, <laughs> we're just impersonators of the golf game, right? Well, so I, I think about how, how, what you just described and how people fit an offense that is physical and power heavy. It's just like playing golf. So COVID breaks out. I'm, I'm the head strength coach at our school. So you know, like I'm not teaching real school during COVID, right? I'm basically just going around chewing kids' ass, making them do their English papers and their math papers and stuff like that while we're home. So every day I get a membership to the country club, buy a golf cart, whole thing, take my little boys with me. We play golf every day. And I think about this, like I, I can't hit a three wood to save my life. I'm terrible. I'm good off the driver and I can kind of putt, but everything in between is horrendous, right? And so I go out every day and I play around the golf and every opportunity, I'm pulling the three wood, pulling the three wood, changing the grip, changing the swing, play and play and play. Well, by the end of COVID, I mean, I could kind of half-ass impersonate somebody that might know how to hit a three wood. Okay. Well, then I go all season, right? Football season going on. I try to go back and hit the three wood. I'm terrible at it because I'm out of practice. Well, we had a, and it's funny that that, that comes up. We had a team this year. We played this air raid team. I mean, they are an honest to God. We are going to throw that thing 65 times a game air raid team. And we got into 11P with them. It was kind of the same script. Um, you know, we'd get in 11P, we'd throw a little RPO, we'd run a little power and counter, a little zone. Every time we got down on their end of the field, we switched to 32P. Okay, so, I mean, we're, we're talking like, or, you know, excuse me, 14P. We're in 14P. So we got two inline tight ends, two fullbacks, and a tailback. And we're running nothing but power and counter out of one-foot split gaps. I mean, we're just teeing off on them. And we ended up finishing that game with eight and a half yards per carry. Beat them 50 to 27. Hadn't, hadn't beat them since I'd been here. And, you know, I think about it at the end of the game, and I'm looking at their kids on film, and they had no more idea than the man of the moon how to fit A-gap power out of that set. I mean, we're just standing there cracking them. And the reason why is same thing with my golf swing, right? They just don't see it anymore. You know, nobody gets in 14P. It, you know, we just, we don't see it. We don't see it on our schedule all year. We hardly even see people that get in the eye anymore. And so the fact that we do all those things makes it way harder for people to relate to you. 
And I think there's a lot of games we won this year where we were definitely not the more talented team. But just watching how people have forgotten how to fit those base run fits, um, you know, it, it gives you a lot of opportunity, which is ironic to me because when I first started out coaching back in 2000, um, you know, we were in the spread. We were the only spread team on our schedule. Right. Everybody was wing T, I, wishbone, right? And they're all running power and counter. And we were like communists. You know, I think they were going to deport us to China because they're like, oh, what yeah. the hell are you guys doing in the gun? Why, why are you throwing hitches? You know, and now it's completely gone the other way. And I see these coaches, they're, they're good coaches. They do a great job with their program, but they'll come rolling in to play us. And I'll watch them fit a gap power the first time. And I'll turn to my coaches and I'll be like, well, this one, this one's going to go our way. They, <laughs> don't they don't know play. how to do it. No, no. And it's, it's, it's crazy to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm in my forties. So I think about it it's going to be really interesting by the time I retire, is this all about to flip back the other way? Are people going to go back gap heavy or are we going to see this continuous evolution or is, is everybody stuck in the spread? I, I feel like there's a lot of teams that they like the spread. They understand the spatial awareness of what it gives them, but what is the knock on every spread? off? I know what the knock on every spread offense I've ever coached is. They can't finish the job, you know, in the short yardages, they can't finish in the red zone, you know, and it's, it's really funny because I know that about spread offenses. And so we build our defense to do exactly what you talked about guys doing in the summer. We've got more ways to match your vertical routes when you get in two by two and three by one than, than I can even imagine. I mean, we've got poaches, we've got ways we wall and rat and we turn coverages over. We were the number one team in the state for intercepting other people. We led the state all five classifications and interceptions because we played the same game with you. We'd let you get first downs, and we'd trap you, figure out where you're throwing the ball, and we'd get a guy there, and we'd pick you off and turn it over. And then on the flip side, what do we do? We always get to the red zone, and we've got power and counter in our back pocket, and we've got it from fullback and tight end sets, and people can't fit it. And we would just pound it down there and run it right down your throat. And then that – I mean, that obviously – then the quarterback's a whole other scenario because we, right. we got into the power read, counter read stuff, and, you know, we started what we call O1P which I still think is the best personnel group in football. We, we let the back release on an RPO and the quarterback is now the running back with a fullback and a tight end. And it's just, it's so hard to fit that stuff. And we were very fortunate. Our quarterback tore his labor in week six. He couldn't hardly throw a ball. Um, you know, the last seven games we played and we won six of the seven, you know, when we lost was the title game. And it's just another example of, you know, you, you got to me, you've got to be able to run the ball with physicality and it's not changed. Every, everything people talk about's changed. The game's changed. Kids have changed. I, I just know there's just really damn cool window dressing on it and zoom and people like me who sit around and run consulting businesses and give people all kinds of damn witchcraft to play with all the time. We're the ones that are at fault because we've just dressed it up and added all this stuff to it. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's still about blocking and tackling. And I think there's a lot of people out there that have great athletes that can't walk and tackle. And so it, it gives you a chance if you can do that to win, I think. Don't y'all? Oh, exactly 100%. Right. And especially in the playoffs. I mean, I just think in the playoffs, obviously now the, the talent levels, you know, when you're playing, when you're playing bad teams, you know, the talent levels are, are, are big difference. You know, it doesn't matter what you run, in my opinion. Uh, but when you get in the playoffs, to me, you know, the, the teams that have been playing their coverages all year, the teams have all the film on you, so they, you know, they, they can scout you. Um, I just think that the teams that all of a sudden now you're like, well, screw it. We're the team that can run the ball better than the other one. You're going to have the, the better chance to win, at least in high school football. You know, I know it's different in college and, and the NFL. They're slinging it and doing it everywhere. But again, you know, at that level, you know, you're, you're dealing with probably a little bit different beast. But at high school, dude, the, the ones that run the ball consistently in the playoffs are the ones that win 99% of the time. Well, it's funny you say that. We so here, you in four A, you, you play four rounds, right? There's a first round, a quarterfinal, semifinal, and final. They only let sixteen teams in, and so our goal we meet every Sunday. Um, I give my staff off Saturday. They have to break all their film down, do all their stuff, right? Have it all ready to go, and then I'm on campus about six a.m. Sunday, and we start working on the offensive game plan. I've got most of it done, but you know I come in and we all start breaking it down. And our goal every round of the playoffs was to run power, counter, power read, and counter read 
from a set or off of a personnel grouping, a motion or a shift that no one had seen yet that season. So week 10, 11, 12, and 13 for us, we ran some form of those four things that you'd never seen from us before. And, you know, it, it took a little convincing for my coaches because they're like, well, coach, we're just running power and counter. I said, yeah, well, you run power and counter from an inline tight end 11P. That's not the same. Like, we got into this screwball stuff. We had two really good backs. So we'd get into, um, we called it gun 21. So you'd have a tight end to the right, twins to the left. And both of our running backs were on the same side of the quarterback. They were both to his left in one of these sets. And we brought sprint motion across, flashed him through, and used both backs um, to blow up the mic and ran counter back the other way. Well, they're spinning and inserting their safeties. Well, once we ran the motion and realized they were spinning and inserting, I just waited until the next series when we needed a score, called that, got him to spin, blew up the mic, ran right over him and scored from 50 yards out. So it's literally just like sitting around and manufacturing touchdowns. And, and the gap scheme, our offensive linemen could give two shits less, right? They, they, don't, they don't care. Um, those guys, I had five seniors last year. And it's funny because they'd come rolling in. They'd be like, what's the game plan this week? I'm like, get really pissed off and run a lot of power encounter. And they said, well, what are all the prima donnas doing? I said, doing what prima donnas do, running around sideways and doing ridiculous things to keep people entertained while you guys do the real work. And, I mean, that, that worked for us. You know, that, that work, I think that works for everybody if they're willing to do it. Um, but it's hard, you know, right? You guys are power guys. You know, it's, it's hard. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of weight room work, a lot of grittiness, a lot of meanness. A lot of people get their feelings hurt at practice, but I still think that's fundamentally how you're going to win the game. And, it, and it's hilarious because nobody sees us as a quote unquote power football team because we're doing all this stuff from the gun. We're doing it from different personnel groupings and motions. We got receivers split out. So they don't see us for what we really are. We're nothing but a glorified eye back double wing team. It's really all we are, but they don't see us as that because we threw for 2000 yards. But the reason we threw for 2000 yards is because people were so busy trying to stop the run. You know, we're just lollipopping it out there. It was crazy. We only threw five interceptions all year Threw the ball 20 times a game. We only threw five interceptions. So when we threw, it was like candy from a baby. I mean, people are just standing there wide open and you're just flipping it to them. And even with a quarterback that had a bum arm, he could still process it and keep us competitive because we were so good running the football. Well, and when you start getting into being able to run the, the quarterback, uh, you know, to me, that's almost uh, cheating coach. I mean, we did it a bunch in 18 when we had a kid that could do it. And, and the numbers just, they're just so, you know, we would actually take our tailback out kind of like you said, but we just put a receiver in for our tailback and then go quarterback, fullback, tight end. Now you get three, three wide receivers. So our fullback mm -hmm. replaced our tailback. And, and so now you're in 11, but you're also in 21. Um, and it just, it, it wasn't, you know, fair for the defense. They didn't have the numbers. They lose that number advantage that you normally get when you just have a quarterback that can hand it off or throw it. Now he's your tailback. It just, um, the, you know, the numbers just add up so much better for the offense. And I know that's something that, that <clears throat> Coach Walls' team, I believe, used a bunch in the playoffs and didn't want to, you know, they had a division one quarterback, so didn't want to have to use it all year, but um, used it enough during the year. And then when they needed it in the playoffs, had a lot of, you know, just designed, not, not read plays and, you know, anything like that, just design quarterback power run. Uh, but where, you know, they've got a defense has to fit it like an 11 personnel team um, or they've got to give up, you know, something on the outside. Well, you know, I had a bunch of people say to me, because our, our quarterback ran the ball 230 times this year. And people are like, well, aren't you afraid he's going to get hurt? He actually got hurt on, a, on the bottom of a pile on a cue sneak is how he's hurt his shoulder. Um, and I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, if he gets hurt, you're not going to win any games. I said, well, I got news for you. If he doesn't run the ball 220 times a year, we ain't going to win any games anyway. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I said, here's the other thing. I said, last time I checked, he has to do power cleans like everybody else in the weight room. I said, so, you know, and, and we don't, we don't subscribe to that whole, you know, red Jersey, no contact thing. I mean, he's a, he's a frigging competitor and you know, it, it's funny cause he's not, you know, he doesn't get banged up. I mean, obviously somebody cheap shot him on a pile is why his shoulders banged up, but um, you know, he can, he can tote the mail, <clears throat> but you know, you're talking about the different ways people have to fit it. My, my favorite from this year is we'd go, we'd go two by two tight, right. So I got tight end, right, flanker, right, twins, left back set to the left. And we'd run a gap power to the right to the tight end side and RPO it. 
And then once people started to overshift the mic and they would get heavy over to the tight end side, we called it B gap power. You know, we would pass set the five weak down block the shade, pull the guard around and you turn him back to the mic and use the tailback to kick out the will. Well, now the quarterback's just running through an open gap and it's, it's tough because the tailback is set over that open B gap and they just, there's not a lot of options for him over there. And what we found was, is if you switched it and played an under front, and put the three technique and close the B gap right in front of him, then power read was just a come home to mama back to the tight end side because you just arc the tight end and take out the overhang. And now you're running power read into a shade five side, which everybody in America loves. And so just from that one personnel group, that one little tweak, you know, there's three really good ways to run power right there. All block the same way, but the defense has to fit completely different and they've got to come up with answers. And you know, I'm, I'm a grinder. I mean, it's, it's February 2nd or whatever it is. I mean, we already started game planning for our week one opponent. We started two weeks ago prepping for him. So it's not like we take much time off and don't talk football very often. We had a staff meeting today before I got on the phone with you. So, you know, we're pretty serious about it. You know, I take a very, uh, a very 12 month approach to football, but I just think that to your point, you know, if, if you're willing to run the ball downhill and you're willing to run your quarterback, you're going to, you're going to be a problem for a lot of people and if that quarterback's got some skill you know now you can you can spit out rpos and have a legitimate pass game and and equate numbers you know and and our guy's not our guy's not a blazer i mean if you saw him you'd be like okay this kid's not he's not going to beat you off the dribble but he is you know he's six three he's 190 you know he's a big physical kid um but he loves contact he'll run downhill and he's and he throws the ball well enough to keep you honest and you know it all it almost got us the whole thing and so I just I think it's a I think it's a really good way to play football nowadays. And, you know, people talk about, you know, kids don't want to play in this system or that system or whatever it might be, you know, because we have all the spread sets and we throw the ball. Around, our kids have a blast. They love it. And it's funny because if you put them under center and said, OK, now run the wing T or run the double wing, they'd all be miserable and want to quit and go play basketball. But because you've got all the RPOs and the little frills and the motions and all that BS on it they all have a blast, you know, because it looks like Saturdays, you know, it, it looks like Alabama. It looks like Auburn. It looks like Clemson. And so, but if you talk about all those, you know, I just moved obviously from SEC country down there. I, I was coaching right, right down the road from Clemson and just down the road from Tennessee. It's so funny. Cause I'm, I'm a big 10 guy originally, you know, being from Illinois and every year I'd watch the big 10 just get their ass whipped by the SEC. And I was always trying to defend them. And people are like, Oh, you know, the big 10 is just big and physical and runs the ball and, they're chasing all these little fast bastards down here in the SEC. And I'm like, that's not legitimate. Like, that's not what's happening. I mean, if you look at the SEC, they are lining up and kicking your freaking teeth in. They're just doing it from sets that make it a little sexier and, and allows the quarterback to get involved. But I would, I would belie anybody to say that Clemson's not a physical football team or Alabama's not a physical football team. I think they're very much built in that Iowa-Wisconsin platform. They just have guys on the outside to make it a lot more entertaining. And I think that was the next evolution that, you know, guys like, like Saban and them knew was coming, you know, uh, Hey, we're, we're going to be physical, but if we get fast, legitimate dudes that can destroy man coverage uh, out wide, we're literally going to be unstoppable. I mean, to me, that's the, the next piece of it. Right. Cause like you'd said, everybody to take away, you know, modern day triple option football, RPO football, they started playing man coverage. Well, then the, the, the answer to that was picks, rubs, being able to throw the ball down the field and now being able to run the quarterback. If you're going to play man coverage and you have a quarterback that can run, it's going to be a long day. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? If you're going to be a power football team, in my opinion, you got to have one or the other. You just hit the nail on the head. You either got to have a receiver that can win one-on-one -on -one matchups or your quarterback has to be better than, than their guys in the box. And if you don't have either one, you're probably going to be a really good 500 team that goes home in the first round. I mean, because the years that I haven't had either one, that's what I've been. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to play long in the season if you don't have somebody on the edge or you don't have a quarterback. Our guys on the edge weren't, weren't great. I mean, we were very pedestrian. We had guys that could catch the ball. They could get open. But none of them that would just terrify you. And so we quickly realized those guys need to be able to fly and jet and be involved in fly power read and, catch RPOs and those sorts of things. But our quarterback was the queen on the chessboard. You know, he was, he was the difference maker. You know, the scary thing for some of these teams now is, um, you know, you got guys like, 
you got guys down in the SEC. You got some guys in the Pac-12 trying to emulate it. Obviously, guys in the in the uh, in the Big 12 trying to emulate it that are trying to get two or three guys on the edge that can win, plus being physical in the box, plus a quarterback that can run. And I wouldn't want to be a DC right now. I mean, it's just a it's a different animal. We I had a really good defensive coordinator several years ago, and he told me he said that the days of winning a game, um, scoring 21 to 28 points are over. That won't happen anymore. And it's really interesting because I thought about that. And for the longest time, I'm like, man, he's, he's brilliant. He is like Saban said it, right? Like our defense is good, but we have to win by scoring points. We got to score 50. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of dawned on me in the high school game. That's not true. It is. And it isn't. And here's what I think, at least for me, and I'm not a very smart man, but here's what I think I figured out. The 42nd play clock has completely changed the game, completely changed the game. Because if I am dynamic, I can get the ball set and go tempo and go really, really fast. That's a great thing. But nobody ever talks about the way less sexier version of it. I can now bleed clock like I never could bleed clock before. Right. Exactly. And so I can muddy and bloody that game up and reduce it to its finest points. And what I made a decision of is I said, we're never going to win a shootout. So every game, and this might sound bad on a podcast, but our kids really embrace it. We said every game is going to be a bloodbath. Every single game, everybody's going to get beat up and beat on, and it's going to be the last man standing. And our playoff wins were like 28-27, 27-22. They were right in that wheelhouse of games that my old D.C. said you couldn't win. And basically, we said, hey, our defense can't give up the big play. We're going to make you drive the entire length of the field. We're going to change fronts. We're going to change coverages. We're going to throw some things at you, mix up some man and some pressure. We're going to make you earn 10, 12, 13 play drives. And then on the other side, we're going to do the same thing right back at you. And several times um, going down the stretch run this year, when we were on a kind of our big winning streak is, you know, we, we did that. I'd go back and look and hell, we'd have 13, 14 play drives, sometimes back-to-back possessions. Well, you start thinking about, I'm taking 27 cracks at the apple. My God, that starts to hurt a little bit. I'm tackling a quarterback and a running back. 27 times in a quarter god almighty i mean i'm gonna get sore and you know i I just don't think a lot of people want to do that anymore and so i said when they switched to the 40 second play clock i said the two people that should be happy is the tempo guy that wants to snap the ball every five seconds and the old school grizzled guy in the wing tee that doesn't want to snap it but every 39 seconds the extremes should be really happy with this and I just know where my talent level lies. So I played to the, to the, you know, the 39 second extreme. And I think it's something that I have at least here not seen very many people take advantage of. There are several people we played, they get the ball and they just want to go hell bent for leather and, and run down the field as fast as they can. And, you know, we don't huddle, even when we're under center, we don't huddle. And we were under center probably 30% of the time. We don't huddle, but there's a lot of times we just stand there and I just give them an easy, easy call. We'll stand there and watch 15, 16, 17 seconds burn off. And just do nothing with it and then go up there and snap the ball. And so, you know, even when we're punting, um, you know, we're burning time off and we're just giving people less chances to, to beat us. And I, I would tell you this, we were the least athletic team on the field every time we took the field. And I think that play clock is, is something that people are just now probably starting to realize how much of an advantage it is. Well, Coach, this has been an awesome hour. Uh, before we let you go, though, I always like to ask guys, uh, you know, when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things that they would be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Uh, for me, it, it's all in how they how they finish blocks away from the point of attack. You know, if, if you've got a guy um, that the, the ball is over in the left C gap and he's blocking back in the right A gap, is he finishing the block or is he standing and turning and watching? And that's a big thing for me. I, I, you know, I played offensive and defensive line, and I hate to see those guys that, you know, the play is away, and so they give a little half-ass belly bump, just enough to get by, just enough to get the job done and grade out so they don't get a negative, and then they're done. I want to see that guy that's over there just dog-cussing the piss out of that guy in the backside eight gap, and he's finishing the block like it's the last block in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. I just really respect effort. I really respect offensive linemen that will get off the ball and play to the echo of the whistle. And so when I see those offensive lines coming out, playing against us, I know it's going to be a long night. When I see those guys that don't finish, 
I know we're going to win. And so that's, that's just something that I always take, take a lot of pride in. Cause I, you know, I played the position and that's what I always tried to do. You know, whether the plays to you or the plays away, you always got to finish the echo of the whistle. And so that's something that I really respect. Coach, man, it's been an absolute blast. I know uh, you, you come rolling through Iowa again. Make sure you, uh, you hit up Ankeny on the way back to, uh, to Illinois. We can sit down and, and talk a little bit more ball. It's been a blast. Well, I just uh, found out I'm coming to Iowa in April to speak at that Southeast Iowa clinic. So I'll be in your, be in your neck of the woods. So we'll have, to, we'll have to sit and talk some ball. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.